All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Still minutiae. <laughs> and as I was just saying, we're days away from 2018 and this has been quite a year. So last week in our Black Mirror show, We heard how our stories about reality keep veering closer to dystopian TV fiction. The news has not left much time for boredom this year, and it sure created plenty of need for creativity, for quiet, and kindness. There's always a need for that. So we want to end the year with the person who helped us power through this year with all those good things in our minds. The most nourishing conversation we had this year, full of kindness and mindfulness and productivity, of course. This is an old favorite. I hope one of yours, too. Happiness is a skill that I acquired. I'd like to introduce you to Chade Mang Tan. Everybody calls me Ming because in the U.S., nobody can do names with more than one syllable. So saying the name Mang to someone who works in tech is kind of like saying the name Ira to someone who works in public radio. Mang's a former Google engineer, but he's not here to talk about coding or anything. He's here to tell us about how he overcame another kind of software glitch. I was miserable. (laughs) I was miserable. Uh, Most people are somewhere in the middle. And some slightly unhappy, slightly happy all the time. And some people like me, uh, we we lost a genetic lottery. So we were born miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Meng is going to tell you how he engineered his own happiness and how he made mindfulness big at Google, spread the word across Silicon Valley and brought it to you. Because if there was ever a time when we could all use a little more contentment, you know, the kind that doesn't come in a pill, it is definitely with the political climate surrounding us right now. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This week, the mainstreaming of meditation and what mindfulness has to do with profits and productivity. At the age of 44, Mang retired from Google. His title was Jolly Good Fellow. This was a name that he actually gave himself, but it stuck. He had joined the company in the year 2000, employee number 107, and his job was helping Google make its search function work better on mobile devices. Then in 2003, he went for a walk outside the Google headquarters, and he had an epiphany. I was taking a walk outside the Google building, And I suddenly knew what I want to do for the rest of my life, which was to create the conditions for world peace in my lifetime. No, you did hear that right. His goal was to create the conditions for world peace. Yeah, big goal. But this wasn't Meng's first epiphany, so he actually knew there was something to it. Because before he had become a Google engineer, he had actually found happiness and joy. 
So I was miserable, like basically my entire youth. And then just before I turned 21, something changed, which is I attended a talk by a Tibetan nun, a Buddhist nun, and she said something in the middle of her talk. She said, it's all about cultivating the mind. And it's like suddenly I understood. It's like everything in my life suddenly made sense. And at that moment, I, I promised myself two things. I said, from, from this point on, right here, right now, from here on, I'm a Buddhist and I'm going to learn meditation no matter how hard it's going to be. And then over time, I realized that uh, access to joy is a skill. Meng discovered that once he learned how to access joy, he could build it into full-fledged happiness. And then he could build all that into a happy life. Inner peace. Inner peace, joy, and compassion. This is what he decided he needed to bring to his fellow Googlers. So he started a mindfulness training course for his colleagues, and he called it, appropriately enough, Search Inside Yourself. But he knew that to get Googlers to actually take the class, he would also need to focus on helping his colleagues get ahead professionally, help them make more money. I figured there has to be incentive. People have to be incentivized to want to do it. And I figured people, they want to be successful, they don't mind being happy. <laughs> so that's why success became the foundation of what I do, of searching inside yourself. So how to link mindfulness to profits? Meng promised them emotional intelligence, or EI, as they call it in the Valley. It's something that many techies have been accused of lacking. But no matter how amazing your coding skills are, a good developer still needs to talk with colleagues and understand what the customer really wants. Search Inside Yourself became a cult hit, the most popular course at Google. People were telling Mang that this class was changing their lives. So he wrote a book, then another. And so he decided to leave Google in 2015 to focus on his own meditation practice, but also his teachings and his mission. Still, though, with that engineering mindset. I'm calling it transformational philanthropy, which is to try to transform human beings. Mm. Right? Make peace, joy, compassion the default state of all human beings. It's hard mm -hmm. to imagine, but back in the day, um, you mm -hmm. know, not that long ago, this idea of meditation being okay in a corporate situation, it's relatively new. Uh, yes, not just new. It was weird. <laughs> weird, yeah. It's fascinating. Not that long ago. I mean, today it's like mainstream, right? It Kermit the Frog when it is, right? It's fascinating. But back then, it was like weird. So I did three things when I created the curriculum. Uh, first is the science, right? So everything I say has to be backed by science. So that's one. Second thing was precision of language. So for example, I never say go deep into your emotions. Mm. Because if I do that, the engineers will be like, how do you quantify deep or shallow? Right. <laughs> so I'll say, we're trying to create a high resolution perception into the process of emotion. And that even engineers can understand. So that was the second thing. <clears throat> the third thing I did was uh, make everything applicable to, to the business world. For example, loving kindness, right? So part of the curriculum is loving kindness. And the spiritual types like us, we all know it's good for us. Still, in the class, I have to say, you know, if you have loving kindness, you go to a meeting room, everybody can feel it, and in the long term, they want to help you. 
Mm. And so it has a business application, <laughs> even loving kindness, even compassion. <laughs> I mean, it's a, so interesting that in a way you had to be an engineer in order to bring meditation, this philosophy, into a corporate sort of situation, a tech situation. But when somebody would say to you, this changed my life, mm-hmm. did that mean that it changed their life in that they had more professional success or profits? Because you don't separate those things from the idea of happiness or joy. And some would say that those things don't go together. (laughs) There's a wonderful analogy, which is physical fitness. So imagine you were physically unfit before, right? And then you went to a fitness class, and then eight weeks later, you became fit. Mm. And you find that every single aspect of life improves, right? Your success improves, your confidence improves, your home life improves, right? And you sleep better in every aspect. And it turns out to be true for mindfulness and meditation and so on because those things are training for the mind. So, for example, one engineer came to tell me he was a manager and he had a very unhappy relationship with the manager of another group and they had to work closely together. So they had a lot of problems. And this guy, after taking my class, he realized something. He's, he's been telling stories about himself. He said, that guy is, is a bad person, whatever. And then one day he woke up and said, wait a minute, that guy was just doing his job. <laughs> that changed the relationship. And he got a promotion. <laughs> what I found so interesting about your books is how they're actionable. They're almost like how-to books. They're not intimidating. Just take me through. What is your philosophy about starting to meditate? For me, the solution at first is to explain the mechanics behind it. Right? This is a training of your attention. It changes your prefrontal cortex and so on and so forth. And the second thing is by changing the length. You notice in my books that the first exercises are usually very, very short. And in Joy on Demand, the first exercise is a single breath. Mm-hmm. One in-breath, one out-breath, taken with total but gentle attention to the in-breath and out-breath. And when people do that, immediately they feel better. Can, wait, and, sorry, and, can oh, we do that right now? I mean, if it's one oh, breath, why not, oh, right? Let's, hey, let's do that. Five seconds. Okay. Total and gentle attention to one in-breath and one out-breath, starting now. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You feel better already, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. In taking the one breath, already you stimulate your, your vagus nerve. And in doing that, already you're activating something called the relaxation response, which is the direct opposite of the stress response. And already your heartbeat is lowering, your blood pressure is lowering, and so on. It's fascinating. Your muscles are really loosening up. And so the question is, why is it that one breath works so well? And the answer is intensity. So remember the instruction I give, like total and gentle attention. Mm. And there's a beautiful analogy from the old Tibetan text, which is it is like strong perfume. If you have very strong perfume, You open it up for just a few seconds, you close it back, the whole room smells nice for a long time. In a minute, how Meng balances mindful breathing with playing Pokemon Go. Really, stay with us. It's Note to Self, I'm Anoush Samarodi, and I'm talking to Chade Meng Tan, 
author of Search Inside Yourself and Joy on Demand. You mentioned that you have lots of good ideas and insights while you are meditating. And this surprised me because I thought that meditating was about clearing your mind. Or is the branding (laughs) off message with meditating? (laughs) The, The answer is yes and no. When intention stabilizes, something happens, which is the mind begins to calm down over time, slowly, mm-hmm. slowly. And when the mind comes down, what happens is thoughts become slower, not completely disappear, but slower. And something else happens, it's clearer. Right? The clarity of seeing thoughts and clarity of seeing the mind improves. And in that state, that's when for me, the mind is most creative. And the analogy I give is, if you drop a pebble in choppy waters, mm. you don't see ripples very well. But if the water is completely calm, you drop pebbles in it, you can see all the beautiful ripples and how they interact. And then you can see the ideas very clearly. You can see the interactions very clearly. And you say, oh, wait a minute. I never thought of that before. <laughs> Later on, if you want to, you can get into a state where there's no thought at all. Uh, but that's a choice. Hmm. I'm really fascinated in the idea that you build technology and yet subscribe to all of these things. I mean, I'm wondering, like, what's on your phone and do you use it? Yes, I play Pokemon Go every day. (laughs) That's that's what you're wondering. (laughs) You do? Oh, yes. I'm level 25. I'm fairly good at this. So the thing about these tools is that you have to be wise in their effect on you. And then after that, you can choose whether to have the effect. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for me, I play Pokemon Go because it helps me get outside the house. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I get out every single day now. I run around the park because I want to collect Pokemon and, and, po- and Pokeballs. Right? And I know, it, I know that's what it does for me. And I know that that's why I'm doing it. So I do it with eyes open. What I'm curious also about is when you were at Google and this decision whether to continue on with making and engineering or deciding to leave Google, retire and set up companies that promote meditation. What do you think of apps and other things where engineers are building things to spread a similar message? So my view is that the current apps are just not good enough. We haven't yet found the technology to measure mental states at the level that is needed to help people meditate. Hmm. So we are able to like measure alpha, beta waves. So we can do that. Even with current technology, we can measure uh, activation in parts of the brain that relates to meditation. For example, the prefrontal cortex or the PCC, the posterior cingulate cortex, and so on and so forth. But those things are bulky and expensive and hard to use and not precise. I went to sign up for a meditation course and they offered one that they said would be I guess, faster in that you would use a headband to Mm -hmm. measure your brain waves Mm -hmm. to help you see when you were achieving Mm -hmm. maybe not clarity, but calmness, I guess, in your brain. Is that legit? I don't know. To me, I kind of felt like, oh, they're trying to hack meditation. Isn't that sort of an oxymoron? (laughs) Um, Some people might find useful. I don't find useful myself. Mm -hmm. My approach right now is to try to create the science behind it. And I funded a project to study the mastery of calmness of mind. So somebody whose mind is so calm and so concentrated that this person's attention doesn't leave the breath for at least one hour or maybe up to four hours and for some people 24 hours. <laughs> like total, absolute concentration and that person is in the state of bliss. Let's measure their brains so we know what mastery looks like and then we work our way back to 
closer to normal people. And then you know, if we can find a neural correlates of different stages of mastery of mind, and then we can create a tool around this. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder, you know, <laughs> so, fascinating. Yeah, it really is fascinating. But I guess I wonder, like, if we haven't created the technology mm-hmm. to measure mm-hmm. it very specifically to Mm -hmm. speed up the process of becoming good at meditation, because it is hard. Mm -hmm. Let's not Mm -hmm. kid ourselves. Aren't the techies in Silicon Valley or all across the country just going to replace this newfound sort of embrace of meditation with something else to optimize themselves? I mean, I've Mm -hmm. been reading um, people are getting into ayahuasca, which is that herb that you can take and apparently you hallucinate really hard and then it fixes your brain for some people. (laughs) There's also uh, cognitive enhancement pills or nootropics. I also even read about like a meditation competition. Like that Mm. just seems like they want what meditation offers but aren't necessarily embracing the whole package. Mm. And so the question is? What do you think? For me, the thing about the practice is that it is so powerful that it doesn't matter what is your initial motivation. So analogy is going to the gym, right? So there are two people who went to the gym and they have different motivations. The first guy has the right motivation. He wants to be fit. Mm. The second guy has a wrong motivation. He goes to the gym because the boss is there every morning and he wants to be next to the boss. (laughs) (laughs) So as long as you do the exercises, they will get physically fit. The key point is that the practice has to be done right. And for me, the practice to be done right means something. It means that not just concentration practice. It means that also you have to have insight practices. You have to be able to see the processes of emotion and cognition and also able to see suffering, see suffering in self and others. Mm. And also the next piece is love, kindness and compassion. You have to have all those practices. Then you'll be successful and you'll be a good person and it's good for the world. Do you think there could ever be a future where some of the people building this technology actually build things that promote your values, that not only do they take a class like Search Inside Yourself, but they say, you know what, when I go back and write my next algorithm, I'm going to make sure that it doesn't increase human suffering. Is that even possible? Oh, oh not just doesn't increase human suffering. I like it to reduce human suffering and, and increase human goodness. And I can give you an example. And so I was invited to speak at the White House and, uh, and fascinating on the topic of loving kindness. And so I, I suggested this. I suggested that in the future, what you, you have an augmented reality game, so something like Google Glass, that can measure your mental emotional state. And then every time you see a human being and then you think to yourself, I wish for this guy to be happy. What if every time you do that, you get a reward, right? So something on the screen like glows or something and then you get plus one on the screen. Mm. And you get a point, you get a reward signal, as a nice sound, ding. <laughs> and then you can make a game, you can make it competitive. You and a friend count the number of times you, you have loving kind of thoughts every day. <laughs> I think that, if, if you do that, eventually it becomes a habit, mm. right? Which is like every time you see a human being, the first thought is, I wish for this guy to be happy. And then habit becomes personality. Personality becomes character, and character becomes you. Right? So by playing a game, eventually you become a kind and loving person. And I think that those technologies are, be, are within our reach in the next few years. I'm just wondering if we could give our listeners um, one more brief exercise they could do, maybe related mm-hmm. to kindness, because that sounds like something uh, you could do pretty efficiently. 
Oh, yes, yes, you can do this in like a few seconds. <laughs> Just bring out a person in mind and think, I wish for this person to be happy. Thank you. You notice that just by doing that, you're smiling already. Hmm. Right? Do you notice that? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like to be on the giving end of loving kindness is intrinsically rewarding. So a couple of years ago, I spoke on a Monday evening and we did this. We, we, we said, okay, everybody identify two human beings in this auditorium and wish for them to be happy secretly. And everyone was happy. So I, I gave the homework. I said, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday is a work day. When you go to work, Every hour, on the hour, secretly wish for two people outside your office to be happy. <laughs> and then get back to work. It takes 10 seconds. <laughs> it doesn't take any time. <laughs> so go back to work, nothing changes. And they don't even know because you're just thinking. And see what happens. So that was Monday evening. Wednesday morning, I received an email from a total stranger. And this person said, she said, I hate my job. <laughs> I hate coming to work every single day. But I did the homework on Tuesday, and Tuesday was my happiest day in seven years. Happiest day in seven years. Mm. What did it take? It took 80 seconds of thinking. Just mm. thinking, I wish for these people to be happy. So I highly recommend this as homework to all of you, my friends. Try it out. <laughs> 10 seconds, an hour, and see if that has any impact on you. Is there a potential that capitalism sort of takes over Meditation. I mean, you know, you go to a yoga class and it's like going mm-hmm. to the gym for a lot of people. <laughs> Could the same thing mm-hmm. happen to meditation? I actually heard, maybe you know him, Gary Vaynerchuk, the uh, social media star turned VC and digital um, advertiser, saying that like he thinks meditation is going to be on every corner. You pop in, do a little mm-hmm. meditating. And it sounded like juice bars to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that there are different levels of depth. Right. I think it's good for like everybody to practice at least the, the lower depths. Right. So like sitting for five minutes a day or kind of thing. I don't think we can expect everybody in the world to go deeper than that. Mm. However, what's important to me is that we do not lose the depth. So there has to be some people who are practicing at those other levels. People who are capable of, I don't know, meditating for like, like a couple of hours a day kind of thing. Those who are like embodiments of compassion. <laughs> The number one thing that needs to happen, I think, is that people who teach mindfulness has to hold themselves to a very high bar. Mm. Right? If you don't even know how to meditate for like an hour, <laughs> you shouldn't be teaching this stuff. Mm. <laughs> so that's, for me, that's the solution. Right? It's like teachers have to be held at very high standards so the teaching will not go away. And uh, the, the risk of it, it was spoken to me by Sadhguru and he gave me a, a wonderful analogy. Imagine there's a primitive tribe and imagine that somehow somebody gave them an airplane. <laughs> so at first they don't really know how to do it. And then eventually somebody started using it as a bus. And after they started using it as a bus, some genius noticed that there are two things sticking out of the bus and they decided if they cut those two things off, we have a better bus. <laughs> so the good news is that now the tribe has a bus. So it's improvement of their lives. However, because they cut their wings off, they will never get the full potential of the airplane. And it's the same with uh, yoga and mindfulness, right? The potential of this is amazing. It is total eradication of all suffering. Not just you can deal with stress, not just you can get a promotion, but all the way to that. And we don't want to lose that. This has been very inspiring. Meng, thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Okay, bye. Bye. 
Okay, listeners, you have your homework. Now off to your 2018s and know that all of us here at Note to Self wish you happiness, at least some peace. And if your devices are getting in the way of that, tell us. I think I can help. If you are feeling resigned or hopeless about controlling your personal data online, if you're maybe hoping to unplug more next year, but you're worried that you might have an Instagram addiction, we are making an advice show to kick off your year a little smoother. Send us your questions in an email or a voice memo if you're feeling generous. I hope you are. Send it to note to self at WNYC.org and I will see you around the corner with some answers and a new show coming the first week of January. So please subscribe to Note to Self wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on iTunes, the kindest thing you can do is, of course, rate us. Wishing you compassion and happiness going forward from the whole team. Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunain, and Joe Plord. Many thanks, of course, to Matt Boynton and Adriana Tapia for their help. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. <laughs>